We're in our study in 2 Corinthians, and don't mind my voice, it's a little raspy. I did test myself today. It's not COVID, so it's just life, I guess. And uh, But you can stay your distance if you want. Um, we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 12. We're finally getting closer to the end, right? Not quite there yet, but... Um, we're, we're moving along almost verse by verse as we've gone through this, uh, cha- these chapters. Looking at the Apostle Paul, and he writes this follow-up letter, letter to the Corinthians. <clears throat> and as he was doing so, he's defending his own apostleship. He's defending his own ministry. And you see that where he, uh, he's not only talking about his ministry, obviously, but really talking about what God had done there. And we've, at least as I have read through this and studied it, I've come to a greater appreciation of, of Paul and, and some of the struggles that the man went through, really. Um, and probably that was the hardest thing that you sense is that the, not only all the things, like last week we talked about the things he went through, uh, but the care of the churches and that burden for the people he loved. Um, and sometimes that's the hardest part about well, loving others and particularly being a Christian is you, your heart is grieved when you see people um, do things like waste their lives in sin or they go and um, cause great damage or heartache to the Lord's name. And Paul had seen that at Corinth and yet there were many that had repented. And apparently as he writes this follow-up letter, they were in a better place even in, the, in some ways than the first letter after the first letter he wrote. But nevertheless, there were those that had come in, the Judaizers, and they were the ones that were causing uh, further damage by capturing people, really, in their minds and uh, their hearts and their attention and devotion and all those things and had really caused them to go away from grace. And so we're in this chapter 12, and uh, the the theme of our series has been stay in the fight. And tonight we come to a, a section of scripture that is stay it's it really deals with a vision that Paul receives uh, or had received and he describes some of it and it's an interesting thing because there's really no other passage in the Bible uh, like it I, I think if you read down through the Bible uh, you have certainly times where people receive visions from God and they receive revelation from God but in this instance Paul was unique in that he was taken up into heaven apparently now we have a very similar um well sort of an experience with john on the isle of patmos and he writes the book of revelation right um and he saw things but he never conveys to him that he was there in the very presence of heaven although he sees these things so and he was told what you see make sure you write it right so paul when he had this experience we're going to come to it as we read it um he doesn't write about it for some 14 years. He doesn't talk about it. He, uh, and we'll talk maybe why or discuss why he maybe didn't talk about it. But anyways, we'll pick it up here. And if you want an outline for this section of Scripture, and we're going to probably only get to point one tonight, but we have uh, the visit to paradise, and there are some reasons that this occurred And in this section, Paul talks about the glory of God and the glory that was really uh, something that honored Paul. And God honored Paul in the fact that he was able to actually experience heaven. 
Interesting. And then goodness, and then God humbled Paul, and he talked about that. And of course, grace, those three things right there. And we're going to look at uh, those in detail as we, we get to them. But we're going to read verses 1 to 6 here, and then do our study. It says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Lord, again, we open your word this evening. We thank you for it. We thank you for the opportunity to study and to go to prayer later on. And lift these things to you, O Lord. Thank you that you are interceding even now on our behalf. And, and God, you are very much concerned for every one of our, our lives and those around us. And Lord, you, there's not one thing that will overtake you today. Thank you for this account that's written in Scripture. And we pray that you would give us understanding of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, when I come to this, this is one of those sections of Scripture where... Um, we don't, as in our camp, sort of, of evangelical Christians or whatever, uh, the Baptist breed, more or less, we don't usually get into the visions and the revelations part, right? Um, where there are other groups of Christians that would talk a lot more about that. Uh, I would differ uh, theologically on uh, the availability of some of those things today, but that's for a different discussion. But here, what we have here, when Paul writes, and he is defending his apostleship, and he expressed his heart to them, told them exactly what he was like and what was going on in the inside in previous uh, parts of this book. But then he comes to this, and he really is a climactic event. He's sharing a testimony is what he's doing. And I, I must say this, that when you share your testimony, it's very hard to argue with that, okay? Um, and that's why, like when people have some of these funny things that go on and they say, well, I had a vision or I had that, you really have a hard time arguing against that because that's their experience. It's always hard to argue against experience. Now, you might argue whether it was from God or not. In this case, Paul argues and says, well, it doesn't argue. He says, this is truth. This is what he experienced. And again, I believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And as the Holy Spirit breathes out his word through Paul, he includes this account that up to this point had not been known in any of Paul's writings. Uh, it doesn't come up anywhere else. And uh, it's, it's, again, interesting when he talks about it. He says this, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Now, he goes into the third person after this, okay? And he talks about a man, all right, someone else. Although it's clear from the end of that part of the text we read that he's talking about himself. And, he, and that was actually a very common way of expressing things in that day. And it was actually the, the rabbis of that day, I'm told, 
uh, taught often that way. When they used illustrations of themselves or some analogy, they often talked in the third person. So it wasn't necessarily abnormal for Paul to be doing that. Uh, but it also shows that it wasn't really about him. He uses himself as an example, but the, the whole really uh, notion behind it is that it's about God and it's about heaven. And he, was, he did not want to boast about that. Nevertheless, there aren't a lot of people out there that I know of that would have that kind of experience, and at least truly that kind of experience. Uh, Paul is the one that we, we think of when we come to that. And really, it was an honor for him to have seen heaven and possibly even been there in the body. In the body or in the spirit, he did not know, all right? Uh, He says that, but he experienced it. He doesn't go into great detail because he can't, and it wasn't really permissible for him to. And the Holy Spirit did not want to have all that detail. Um, You read through this section, and it's very short, right? You don't really have a whole lot other than uh, what Paul says happened, and that was it. Um, But understand this, that the Judaizers, when they came to Corinth, they uh, demanded, well, first of all, they showed letters of recommendation, and they demanded honor from the people. And here Paul uses this illustration about having been able to actually have this heavenly experience, and that paled into comparison to what the Judaizers were doing, okay? They would come and they would not have those experiences, and I don't think they knew Christ, okay? And there are a lot of people like that, and they have a hard time arguing with a genuine Christian who does have that relationship with God. And I think that's, although um, we don't often put much maybe onus on that, it is imperative that, you know, if you know Christ, that's powerful. And as I said earlier, you can't argue with someone's testimony, really. And I think it's, it's really good to be able to share your experience with Christ and to share that, obviously, in accordance with Scripture. If it is in accordance with Scripture, it's not an experience with Christ, all right? Uh, matter of fact, just this week, I, um, I have somebody I work with at the ambulance service, and um, he's a Muslim, and he uh, just got done Ramadan. And I was talking to him about that a little bit, and... Uh, he asked me more about what I believed, and so we were we were chatting, and he says, "Tell me about the Holy Ghost, or the you know that's what he used." And I said, "Well, I'll tell you about the ministry of the Holy Spirit." And and I I shared a little bit, but I said uh, uh, we don't have a lot of time because we were actually going somewhere, and I said uh, I can't just give you a short answer to that, but let me just tell you what the Holy Spirit who he is and what he is like and I shared my testimony as short as I could because literally we only had a few minutes and I said um, you know when I was a teenager I was not living for for God at all and uh, I I am thankful how God got a hold of me and I said the Holy Spirit's ministry and he's God the Holy Spirit comes and he opens up God's word to us and I said as a Christian we believe the Bible is God's word and, and he, he agreed with that. And we talked some more about that. And I told him that he convicted me of my sin. And he said, I'm a sinner. That's what he said. He says, I'm a sinner. He says, I hope I can find forgiveness. And I said, you can. And we were, again, just chatting and, and talking. And I, I won't name him now, but just pray for him. Uh, we've had some good discussions. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. I really am. And I count him as a friend. But... 
you know, sometimes, like, how do you explain, explain the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, in a, in a, a paragraph or, in, in, I mean, how do you take the infinite God and even write about him, right? You can't. But you can talk about him. And I can say this, that the Holy Spirit ministered to me in my life and that he convicted me of my sin and he opened up my heart so I might receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we, we talked about that. And I, I think that's, it's easy, you know. I don't have to know everything he believes and he doesn't know, have to know everything I believe. But, but you can talk about that relationship. And you know what? That in itself, that relationship with the Lord and a familiarity with him as a person is something that's unique because religion doesn't offer that. And we say it's almost cliche. It's not a religion. It's a what? Relationship. And it's true. It's a relationship. And I'm, I'm thankful that we can know the Lord. And that's not presumptuous. That's, that's knowing him because he's ours and we're his. And it's great. Anyways, I'm off topic somewhat, but... He talks about this. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And there are these two words, visions and revelations, and they're just simple words, and they are translated right pretty much exactly how they mean. Um, optasia, which is vision. We go to an optometrist, right, to go and get our, our eyes checked and these little things that hang on your nose or don't. Um, and that's that same root word, you know, for vision. And uh, that's what Paul received from God. This is something he saw and something that was in front of him. And he tells of that. And again, it's hard to argue with someone who saw something, isn't it? And, uh, or has heard something. And we'll look a little more about that. There are several places all well, through the book of Acts where Paul, it is written about him, where Luke records for us where Paul received a vision from God. And there's a difference between dreams and visions. Dreams would occur when someone was sleeping and they had a dream. And you see that. And then visions occurred when someone was not sleeping but saw something. And I think maybe the, the, the two sometimes are interchangeable a little bit as far as the, what exactly takes place. But nevertheless, it is something that Paul saw in his conscious state. This was not the funny you know, dreams that happen because you ate something uh, terrible in the evening and you have indigestion in the middle of the night and you can't sleep and things are going through your head and all that stuff. Uh, this was nothing other than the Lord appearing to him or a messenger appearing to him. In Acts chapter 9, of course, that's how we are introduced to uh, Saul of Tarsus um, after the stoning of Stephen, of course. That's where we first see him. And in Acts chapter 9, the Lord himself appears to him in the vision, he sees him, and he more than sees him. The Lord knocks him right down in the dust. It says, and he journeyed, and he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, his answer was, uh, he used the word Lord, right? Lord, what would you have me to do? And he's knowing as a Jewish man, a Pharisee, a zealot of the Pharisees, he knew this was none other than the Lord himself. And the Lord himself says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, right? And what a wake-up call for Saul. He had a vision, and it was something that confronted him about 
who he was worshiping and who he was persecuting. In Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 12, and in a vision, he, Paul, okay, uh, Saul, has, has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And here is the second instance where it's recorded that Saul, later Paul, had a vision of God. In this case, it was a detail that there was a man going to come. And here I find it interesting because he has this vision while he's blind. <laughs> right? His eyes had been, well, you know, covered with the scales apparently, you know, or he was blinded by this light of the Lord. And yet he has a vision. So it's more than just the eyesight part, isn't it? Um, in Acts chapter 22, verse 17, and Paul recounts this. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far away, far, far from here to the Gentiles. So here's another piece of God's uh, revelation through a vision that he gives. And he's saying, you're going to go from the Jews to the Gentiles. And, and that is an important distinction because he becomes really the one who is sent primarily to the Gentiles. So, though everywhere Paul went, he also ministered to Jews. So um, we, we see that. In Acts 16, the account of the vision that Paul received in the night um, in this case, the man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And we often call that the Macedonian vision, right? We sing about that in our missions hymns. Um, and that vision was a, a, a direct beckoning from someone who was saying, Come over and help us. And what does Paul do? He's, he honors that vision and that command. He took it as from the Lord. And immediately they sent or they, they went away and, and tried to, well, they attempt not only attempted, they went to Macedonia, ends up in Philippi in that chapter. Um, you see that. We know that it was through visions also that the Lord spoke to Paul when he was afraid and needed some courage and needed some encouragement. And then at, and while he was at Corinth, he received this vision now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. Obviously Paul was concerned about that, like any of us would be. For I have many people in this city. And what a reaffirmation of the ministry. Here Christ has commissioned him to go to the Gentiles. Paul's doing that, but everywhere he goes, he, you know, is trouble. It brings trouble. And he was in a world just as contrary as our world today you know it's always been a hostile world to the lord um and he was afraid and god says don't be afraid the lord says don't be afraid he attributes that again uh, to the to the lord jesus christ in acts twenty three eleven. but the following night this is um when he was arrested in jerusalem but the following night the lord stood by him and said 
Be of good cheer, Paul, for, I, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Here's the next little piece in the puzzle. Isn't it great that God reveals things to us sometimes and he does it just in the right moment that we need it? Sometimes, often, it's by hindsight. It's as you have gone to the next step and then all of a sudden it opens up and you're like, oh, that's why I went through that experience last year or this year or yesterday, today, whatever. You see how those steps are ordered. In this case, God said, I'm not even going to let you take those steps. I'm going to tell you where those steps are going to lead you. And that was very specific. For this, it's uh, uh, chapter 27. Here's an angel that appeared to him. And this is, remember when he's bobbing up and down in the sea. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Well, that was one of the reasons he's going to Rome. Now, I often wonder about that because had God told him back earlier that he was going to go to Rome and see Caesar, I wonder if Paul would have backed out of the deal. You know, I think I might have been wanting to. Uh, I, I don't think he would have, but God always reveals to us what we need to know when we need to know it, and not sooner and not later. And that is always one of those things that stood out to me when I think of that, how over and over again the Lord led Paul a little further into that, that details. This is going into a time in Rome where persecution is happening, and he would eventually be killed uh, at Rome. And uh caesar you know he was brought before caesar and indeed god has granted you all those who sail with you so the men and he goes on to in that passage to to encourage the the people that are with him that they're not going to die um and that's something that's neat god gives us sometimes insight in that case in paul's day and i believe in the particularly in that what we call the apostolic age when the word of God was being penned and it was the letters of Paul were being written and those kind of things. Prior to God um, finishing, I believe, the completed Bible, uh, there were much more of those occasions where people received direct revelation from God and visions and those kind of things. And according to what he writes in 1 Corinthians, is there would come a time when those things would cease. The argument today is when would those things cease? And will they start up again someday? And those kind of things. And um, in uh, 1 Corinthians where it says, when that which is perfect is come, or complete is come, then those, that which is done in part will be, will be done away with. And I believe that's a reference to the Bible being completed. It makes sense uh, grammatically and in the text. And Paul was one of those people that was honored and great privilege to receive direct revelation from God, to hear the very voice of God. He says he heard it in the Hebrew tongue, even. And uh, I can imagine, um, what does the voice of God sound like? I don't know. I, I know that Paul did, and others heard him directly. Imagine those that walked with Jesus here on this earth. Um, later, when John receives his revelation from God, he, he knows it's the Lord Jesus. This is the same one in which he sat, remember, and put his, his head on his, on his breast. Uh, that same one who is now the resurrected and glorified Lord, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the great judge of all the earth. 
And I think, wow, what an experience they had. Well, those are some of the examples of visions that Paul received. Um, He talks also about revelations, and those are to be distinguished a little bit. Revelations are literally like uh, things that were opened up to them. And the Greek word is apocalypsis. It is the same root word that's found or the same word for the book of Revelation, uh, the apocalypsis, all right? It is that uh, opening of a mystery or something that hadn't previously been revealed and it's insight into what God has. And that deals with the truth of the word of God. Uh, And Paul definitely had great insight into that, didn't he? If you think about Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, uh, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, so there it is, a mystery, now, Mystery doesn't necessarily mean something that was um, a a secret or something. A lot of times, the things that God um, revealed were already foretold, and they were already there, but you didn't have the understanding of those things. Later, as the Holy Spirit would open those things up, for instance, when Isaiah prophesies, and Isaiah prophesies of a a Messiah who's coming, and he's going to be um, the suffering Messiah. He'll be cut off from his people. And then you have, shortly right after those verses, the victorious Messiah that comes and will judge the earth and will put down the enemies of God. And the prophets, when they had those things and they write, like Isaiah writes of those things and the kingdom of God and, and that, he didn't see all the details. He just prophesied as God gave him truth. Later, a man like Paul would come along And he would have further insight from God because he received revelations from God. And the mysteries, which weren't clearly understood then, were now manifest and made. And that's what he says. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, now look at this, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, Paul's emphasis on his uh, conveying truth was reading it. And I would just say this, that man runs around today, a lot of Christians run around looking for some new revelation from God. It's been revealed. And when Paul talks about this, he talks in the past, it's been revealed. It's not something that will be continued to be revealed over and over again as in something new that wasn't known before. He's given us the complete word of God. And so I think we'd do far better seeking what has already been written and looking at what God has revealed to us clearly than to go out there and try to seek something new. And I don't think it will be given to you um, something new. You may have some new part of the relationship of Christ and those kind of things, but it's always in accordance with what he's already revealed to us. And by the way, I say this carefully. Most Christians who seek only some experiential form of Christianity and and they lay this book aside and they're only looking for the latest experience of something, you know, um, they will be let down because your experiences let you down. And they also 
will shape your truth, uh, I say truth, shape the truth, um, in that if, for instance, instead of being in the Word of God, and let's say you get discouraged or doubt comes along, uh, that happens, right? Doubts come along and you say, uh, you know, I'm doubting I'm a Christian. Uh, I've had those discussions with people, all right? And uh, a lot of those over the years. And people say, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Maybe they're struggling with a sin or there's something going on and they're wondering about that. And you know, go back to the book because this will tell you if you are or not. And it will reaffirm to you the truth of it is finished in Christ. And if you're worried about the way you feel about it, that will lead you astray often. Um, And that's honestly the greatest way to get rid of doubts is to get back in the book and to look at it and settle it with God. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that other than to say, Paul writes here, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. He was unique in that he received the, the full truth of the whole matter, and he understood it. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that, and this is the mystery, the Gentiles should be what? fellow heirs with the Jews, all right, of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And you look at that. What Paul's talking about here is that he's, he's talking about the mystery of the church. The church in the Old Testament is not seen. And the, the, the assembly of Israel is seen, and you have Jews and you have Gentiles But now, the mystery that had been revealed all along, and it was all part of God's plan all along, is that they would be brought together in one body. And Paul's the one that writes on, for instance, the baptism into one body, right? Referring to spirit baptism. And how? It's through the the message of the gospel. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And so Paul talks about that, doesn't he? Um, we better move on here. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, and again, it sounds very funny because Paul's saying, he, he recounts this story, and initially when you're reading it, you think, oh, he's talking about a friend, he's talking about some other acquaintance or whatever, but you get down to the end of the section we read, and he's talking about himself and didn't want himself to boast in what he had experienced. So it's obviously, it's about him. But, we, we find that this takes place in a part of Paul's life that we have very little knowledge of. Uh, if you looked at a timeline of Paul in his ministry, it was shortly after the crucifixion and ascension of Christ, uh, uh, resurrection and ascension of Christ, that um, obviously the gospel goes forth as, as uh, the early church begins and it's out there. And it was only a year or two later that Paul is converted. Uh, that's the, the thought of that anyways, around A.D. 34, A.D. 35. Um, around A.D. 50 is when Paul begins to write his letters, his epistles. And that goes up to around A.D. 64 or so. And give or take a year or two here and there, depending on uh, which calendar you go by and all kinds of different things. And Nothing is set right in stone on those, but that's, those are the general agreed-upon dates of things. And if this takes place at about 
the writing of First and Second Corinthians, one written right after the other, is somewhere around A.D. 55 to 57. Okay, that's again sort of an agreed-upon date of those writings based on church uh, history and tradition and other outside writings of that. Um, so back up 14 years or so, and you're looking at A.D. 41 to 43 in that range. And during that time, we don't really know anything about Paul. The place that that falls in the Bible chronologically is actually between Acts 9.30 in Acts 11.25, all right? In Acts 9.30, it says this, When the brethren found out, they brought him, that's Saul, down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus, okay? So we have the conversion of Saul in Acts 9 and this early part of his Christian walk. And then we don't see much other than the next thing is Acts 11. And Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And in that time frame, which is most likely <clears throat> can be a period of years, Paul, uh, well, he was doing like the rest of us. He was growing in his faith. He was learning. He was putting some things together. It was all kinds of things. And it was during that time that he had this experience. <coughs> there. And some have argued, well, is it, was it a near-death experience? Because, you know, you have people that say, I, <clears throat> they lost me on the operating table, and I, I went to heaven and saw heaven. And I'm not going to argue with somebody. They may indeed have had some kind of out-of-body experience. We are a soul, body, soul, and spirit. And what does happen when we die? You know, our non-material parts separate from our flesh, our body. Um, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't explain that. I, I don't. And I don't know other than I would say that there have been people that have had experiences where they have died, like on an operating table or some, something's happened to them and, and their, their heart's not beating. And I heard one guy say, I saw the most scary thing I've ever seen in my, my ever. He says, I saw the very flames of hell. You know, maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, I can't argue that. But I can say this. For Paul, we don't know what really was the cause or reason other than the Lord, in his grace, showed Paul and maybe conveyed him right there in the very presence of heaven. <clears throat> in Second uh, Corinthians, uh, we'll go back there. Um, yeah, sorry. Second Corinthians 12, 3. For I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows and how he was caught up in paradise and ex heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And when he says that, I believe that God gave him insight into things that are not reserved for us here to understand. We probably couldn't understand them. We probably wouldn't understand them. And I thought of that one time I went to a funeral uh, for a, a dear elderly brother that I had uh, I had gotten to know over the years through camp ministry and went to a funeral and he had been influenced by uh, several pastors throughout his life and all of that and we went to a funeral and there was one pastor that came and he was a little bit more on the charismatic leanings and some other stuff and he began to eulogize uh, this man and he went on this um, 
this trip to heaven that he, he described, and he went on and on and on. And it was about an hour and a half to get to heaven and back and all that. And he told of all the great things he experienced and all that stuff. And I, through most of it, I thought, yeah, I think you had too much pizza before bed. I mean, that's what my, but it, it had some un, yeah, sanctified thoughts, I think. Because it was a lot about him, about me, you know, that, that, that kind of discussion. It wasn't even a eulogy for the man that had deceased. Um, and it was a long, long, lengthy process to do that. And then I thought, well, the Apostle Paul had an experience like this, but he said it wasn't lawful for man to utter. <laughs> so either this man is uh, outside the, what the Scripture permits, or, or, or he's had some experience that isn't from God. And I would say it's probably the latter. Um, people seek these things and think that that's going to be authority, right? Well, here Paul does not have, uh, he, he doesn't even utter all the things that he saw and expressed. I would say this, that uh, Paul received truth, revelation, and when he later writes in, for instance, uh, like the book of Ephesians, and he talks about heaven he talks about it with authority and the great thing is this that you do not need to take a visit to heaven before you die anyways to understand that we have a place that's reserved there ephesians 2 6 and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in christ jesus um, we have that opportunity now we, have, we are seated with Christ. We have a representative who's our forerunner, who's there already. Ephesians 2.21, In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And again, a dwelling place that God has, has put in us. And we will be with him. Actually, Jesus prays that, doesn't he? Acts, I mean, uh, John 17. And the glory which you gave me, this is his high priestly prayer, the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. And that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And you think of all that and you say, um, he's, that's what Christ wants for us. He does want us to dwell with him. And we can dwell now with him. It isn't something that we have to say, I need some new experience so I can go to heaven tonight so I can be a better Christian. No, you can now dwell with Christ, right? He offers that, and he wants that unity of the Spirit. Verses 5 and 6 there, 2 Corinthians 12. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. So again, he, he's showing really his humility in this. He's boasting in the sense of, an, of a, this thing that happened, okay, this experience, which was a glorious experience. But he says, basically, it's not about me, though. 
That's why he uses the third person. Except in my infirmities. And that's what he would boast in. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. Uh, Which tells me something. When we desire to boast and we boast about things that are just in and of ourselves, we're being foolish in doing that. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Again, just Paul says it's not about me. It's about him. And that's how the Apostle Paul lived his life. And you think of that, because in Romans twelve three he says this, For I say, through the grace of God given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And the great, I say, the great apostle was really a very humble man. And when he talks about um, how we ought to be living, we aren't drunk with our own pride, which so many are, but rather to live soberly, to live seriously that way, to live in faith, And to keep the right perspective. Make much of him and little of us. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful. Thankful for this experience of Paul. That Lord, although we haven't had that experience, Lord, we we sit together with you now, even in the heavenlies. Our place is reserved. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. And Lord, I do thank you for the everyday experiences of walking with you in accordance with your truth, the word of God. And Lord, I pray that as we walk in this world, we would live soberly. And truly, Lord, we live as people of faith and uh, we would be excited about knowing you. And we do look forward to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.